God is good. Amen. It is such a privilege to be with you. Most of you guys know, some of you, our guests probably do not, that that was father and son. And to watch uh, Tyler get at least part of his life, get to watch him grow up, and to see him back singing together is quite a cool thing. We are so blessed to have several of our kids grow up and come back home to Doorsville, and now they are serving in various capacities in our church, and that's just a really awesome thing. Well, if you're here today as our guest, thank you for coming so much. We are in the midst of a series of three messages that talk about, as you could probably tell, about the heart. The, the worship today talked about the heart. The, the heart of worship was a wonderful song uh, that we chose that to sing that every week during this series of messages. And last week we talked about, about examining God's heart. Because, you know, if we truly believe in God, then we ought to know what is on His heart. And I'm afraid so often that when we think about God's heart, we think about large cathedrals and buildings and things like that. And that's really not the heart of God. The heart of God is for people. We, we saw it evidenced in Luke chapter 5 where, where Jesus walks up to the, to the worst guy in town and, and doesn't say get your act together, um, quit this or quit that or start a habit or go to church. He simply looks at this guy and says, follow me. And this guy was very wealthy, he had a good job, and he leaves his occupation as tax collector and he begins to follow Jesus Christ. The Bible says it clearly. He left everything behind and began to follow Jesus. And the concept, the thought there is, you know, when God calls you to follow Him, leave the changing to Him. Uh, we sometimes think that we have to have a bunch of rules in our place. We've got to do certain things before we can be saved. God says, come, trust me, follow me, and then I'll bring about the changes that might be necessary in your life through my power, through the Holy Spirit. And then this guy goes, and, and he, you know, it's funny because he wasn't blind, and he wasn't lame, and all those different things, and yet he felt compelled to do this huge party for Jesus, to have this great big party. And the reason why, he realized what we sometimes forget. Those of us who know Jesus, we forget that the greatest thing God ever did for us was forgive us for our sins. And because of that, you know, we, have, we are totally depraved. That is, we have nothing to bring to the bargaining table with God. There's nothing I can bring to, well, God, I went to church so many times, or I was so good or so bad, or I gave so much money. None of that matters. I have nothing to bring to God except my faith in Jesus Christ. And that day, that's what he did. And he was so overwhelmed, he had to celebrate. And I challenged you last week, let's celebrate the fact that our feet will never feel, uh, feel the fires of hell because of what Jesus Christ did. And, and if you don't know him, the greatest experience, the greatest decision you'll ever make is to come into a relationship and make a commitment to follow him the rest of your life. And the, and the uh, religious guys didn't like it. The scribes and the Pharisees got all fired up about it and said to the disciples, why do you guys hang around and want to eat with sinners? And that's when Jesus kind of like, like, well, in my mind, I went like this and said, let me take that one. He said, you know, I, the, doc, the well don't need a doctor. And I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's the heart of God. The heart of God is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes him should not perish, but may have everlasting life. Jesus said in his mission statement, he said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that is the heart of God. So we examined that last week. Then this week, it seems logical then, that if that's the heart of God, how does that compare to our heart? And so today, we want to spend some time looking at our heart or examining our heart. 
And this is a crucial message. It's a crucial message. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is huge because the heart matters. The heart matters. You see, the heart matters. It matters to God, not to matter to us. But matters of the heart matter because what we believe in our heart is what we hold as priorities, what we think are really, really important. So today we're going to examine our heart. Now let me just kind of give you a heads up. Sometimes we go like last week, we went to Luke chapter 5 and like stayed there the whole time. Well, this week, the way the sermon is set up, we need to go about five different scriptures. So in your bulletin, there's a... Now, I want you to get your Bibles out. If you brought your Bibles, get your Bibles out. We're going to start out in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. That's Old Testament, okay? All right? So we're going to do that. But in your, in your bulletin is a sermon sheet. And on that sermon sheet are most of the scriptures that we're going to need this morning. Also, our guys will be flashing those up on the screen for us so you can read them from the screen. In case you're one of those people like me who go... And where is that book at, you know? Well, we've got it up on the screen for you to see because we want you to be able to follow the Word of God because we believe that's what it's all about. All right, so how do we examine our heart? Well, the first thing I want to talk about this morning is, is what I call in the first point, heart matters. Heart matters. I want to kind of lay a case that the heart really does matter, okay? Now, to do this, let me kind of lay some groundwork. Just kind of stay with me, all right? Now, now we're way back in the Old Testament, and Saul is the very first king of Israel. And, and God kind of like said, okay, that's the guy I want for king. And Saul was kind of kingly. He was a big man. In fact, the Bible talks about the fact he stood head and shoulders above most of the other Israelites. I mean, you kind of like, man, there's a leader if I ever saw one. And so Saul became, Saul became king. And so it wasn't long, though, and he was so humble when he began. It wasn't long before he got in trouble. He got full of himself, and he decided he would do something like the only the priests were supposed to do about burning some incense. And that may not be a big deal to you, and evidently Saul wouldn't have thought it was a big deal to him, but it was a big deal to God. And here's the deal. That one act cost Saul the dynasty. He could have had it where son after son after son after son could have stayed on the throne in Israel. But because Saul disobeyed, it cost him the dynasty. And in the process of him being reprimanded for that, we have an incredible verse. Let me just read it to you. It's just a couple of chapters back, but let me read it to you. It's 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. Here's what God said. Samuel speaking for God. But now your kingdom shall not continue. In other words, the dynasty's over, Saul. Because you would not follow me, there will not be a dynasty. But listen to this. The Lord has sought for himself. I have, a, I have a new candidate already picked out. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And then Samuel rose and went up from Gigal and on and on and on. So here's what the deal is. Saul, your dynasty will not continue. And when your time comes to an end, there's going to be a new man on the throne. And the characteristic of this man will be a man after God's own heart. Well, Saul messes up again. And this time, really, really big. And this time, it cost him his throne. God goes and sets in motion the plan for this new guy. 
So we're in the process, and back then, you know, you'd go find a person and anoint them as king. They might be king right away, but they've been set apart as king, and that's what happens. And so Samuel gets word from God, hey, I want you to go down there, and I want you to find Jesse, and you're going to find the new king of Israel. And so you know, Samuel the prophet, the preacher guy, shows up at Jesse's house, and they make, hey, how you doing? Are you here for peace? Yeah, I'm here for peace. I've come to sacrifice. And he invites Jesse and his family to be in on the deal, to be on the sacrifice. And so Samuel says, can you have your sons kind of pass before me? You know, kind of like pass and review. So the oldest son, who was the logical, might be the logical candidate, his name was Eliab. Eliab walks up and guess what? He's handsome. He's strong. He's tall. And Samuel instantly says in his mind, that's got to be him. This has got to be the man that God wants to be king. And here's what God says in that verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 7 of 1 Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, listen now, this is huge. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical statue, because I have refused him. He is not the man. Now watch. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We have a tendency, and they have a tendency, to look at the outward appearance. Eliab looked kingly. But God said, I'm not concerned about the outside. I'm concerned with the inside. So another son came, and then six more sons came. And finally, so, so Samuel says, do you have any more boys? He goes, well, there is one more. He's the run of the family. He's out keeping sheep, you know. I, he's so unclean kingly, I didn't think to even invite him. Samuel says, we don't sit down until you bring him here. And there was a little boy, a young man, teenager probably, named, remember? David. David. And the Lord said to Samuel, that's him. But Lord, he's not big and tall. That's him. But Lord, he doesn't seem very kingly to me. That's him. And you want to know why that was him? Because he's a man after God's own heart. Heart really does matter. Now, we miss this. We don't see this. Now, listen. We see and make assumptions. We see and make assumptions both ways. We, we look at someone who goes to church three times a week and say, Oh, that's the perfect deacon candidate. Oh, he must be a spiritual giant. He even comes to visitation on Tuesday night. Or, or we see someone who gives money and we say, oh, that's got to be the person. Or someone that, that has all the, you know, all the words, sings in the choir, can sing beautifully on the stage. Oh, that's the man. But God says not so quick. Because you see, I don't look on the outside. I look at the heart. And we'll take somebody. Of course, you've never done this. And certainly your pastor's never done it. But we'll see someone who's got some tats, you know, tattoos, someone who may have more earrings than he needs or she needs, and we'll go, oh, look at that person. And then only to find out that that person is a vibrant Christian. Now, you're going to, some of y'all are going to disagree with me. That's okay. Listen, there's one small reference in the Old Testament about tattoos. That's all. It has nothing to do with this topic. You know, God does not judge how carnal you are by your tattoos or no tattoos. Nor does He judge how spiritual you are if you do or if you don't. Why, Dwayne? Because God looks at the heart. 
godly to the heart. We make these crazy assumptions. We judge people. See, listen. I can't see your heart, but I can see your behavior. And consequently, I judge you on your behavior. You judge people in your behavior. And God says, time out. Wait a minute. It's your heart that matters. Now, now there's a really hard scripture I want to share with you. But don't let the harshness of it um, negate the power of it, okay? It's over in, if you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. This one's not on your, on your sermon sheet. But let, listen to this. Now, now, again, don't let the harshness of it rob its power. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, the religious guys. He says, woe to me, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now listen, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what Jesus is saying, it is very possible in front of people and around people to put on this facade that you look way religious. But inside, you could be like stone cold. I mean, it's just possible it's just possible that you got all the outside down. But in the matters of the heart, you've got heart disease. And you see, that's how it is with heart disease. Often we don't get it. And we're kind of moving down to the second point now. Okay? We don't actually see what, what goes on. We have heart trouble, and we don't know we have heart trouble. My dad was a smoker. Two packs a day. Back in those days, we're talking about 1970 is when this happened. So back in those days, cholesterol wasn't a big deal. You didn't hear much about, you know, cholesterol and all that stuff. And so mom, like, cooked in, like, lard. Y'all remember lard? Makes the best pie crust in the whole world. Amen? I mean, it just makes great pie crust, but it's really, really bad for you. And so my dad was a two-pack-a-day smoker. Life was pretty hard. He's one of those guys that lived pretty hard, not, not in the sense of drinking stuff, but life was hard for him. Eight kids, providing for them, and then he ate all this bad food. Bottom line, 1970, almost without any warning, I come home from school one day, and my sister-in-law's there. I said, what's up? Because she wasn't usually there. I said, your dad's had a massive heart attack. Is in the hospital. I mean, you know, it's not like he missed it. I, I just feel certain he, he would probably said to my mom, you know, Leslie, I'm feeling a little bit tired today. But by and large, he just missed it. And a massive heart attack. A diseased heart and didn't even really know it. Sadly, the doctor said, you've got to change your lifestyle. You've got to quit smoking or else you're going to die. And my father said, You'll die. I'll die happy. And four years later, he did exactly that. Another massive heart attack. And this time he did not survive. Sometimes, sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we just ignore it. 1977. We're fixing to head to Germany, and, and Judy's dad this time, a deacon in the church, not a smoker, not any of that, a deacon in the church, but, but he was out working underneath the house one day, and he was really good to tell. He's laboring, his color was bad. I'm not an MD, obviously. And I said, boy, this doesn't look good to me. Hey, Roy, why don't you go to the, I don't need to go to the doctor. I feel fine. I can pull it off. I can tough, you know. And I said, listen, you really need to go. To, all right, all right, I'll go to the doctor after a while. We were leaving Germany that day. So we got on the plane, flew to Germany, 
like five weeks later, you know, back then snail mail, no email, no really no phone lines. And we get this letter from her mom. I guess you heard about your dad. We're going, no. And she went and explained it, that that day he'd had a massive heart attack. And only by the grace of God did he survive. In fact, back in those days, those early days of open heart surgery is how he survived. But like so many men, he wanted to ignore the heart disease. And crazy enough, sometimes it's just unaware of it. 1983, I worked for the wing commander in the Air Force. Great job. I come in one day, and, and Colonel Smith said, I need to have all the staff assembled in my office. I said, okay, sir, yes, sir. So we assembled all in there. And there was a guy named Major Hamlin who worked in our staff. A runner, Matt. A runner. Thin, healthy, was running. Dead. Dead. Heart defect, was not aware of it. They say he probably died a long time ago, but because he was so healthy, he lasted as long as he did. He died totally unaware that he had heart disease, he had a heart defect. And that's how it is with us, folks. I want you to get this. I hope you're staying with me. I'm not jumping around too much, but I hope you're getting this and understanding this. We can have heart disease spiritually and either, one, miss it, we can have heart disease and ignore it, or we can have heart disease sometimes and be totally unaware of it. How is that possible, Dwayne? Well, our verse tells us. This is an incredible verse found in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. Here's what it says. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and desperately sick. Jeremiah says, God speaking through Jeremiah says this, Your heart will lie to you. Your heart is deceitful. Why would your heart deceive you? You know why? My heart has my interest at mine. My heart says, I want what I want. My heart says, this is what I want to do. This is for my pleasure. This makes me feel good. This is what I want to do. And my heart is my interest in me. And so my heart will deceive me. You don't know why, you know, there's, there's so much sexual immorality and people justify it. There's, there's out, you know, habits, alcoholism and, and drug abuse. There, there's abuse that goes on in the homes. There, there's all these different sins that happen. So often those people go to church and how they do that because their hearts lie into them. I didn't say that. God did. Can I read it one more time? The heart is more deceitful than anything else. If I'm reading that right, that means we can like be cruising through life. And if we're not careful, our heart will tell us everything's okay. And it's anything but okay. In fact, it, it can be, the Bible says, desperately sick. Desperately sick. We can have a like totally diseased heart and almost be unaware of it. How does that happen, Dwayne? We get so callous. We come to church. We do our thing. We rationalize. We justify. And our lives become almost, our hearts become almost just calloused to the disease that lies within us. Wow. Wow. See, if, if I were to ask a lot of us today, you know, raise our hands, we're not going to do that. You know, how's your heart today? Most of y'all say, oh man, my heart's, now I'm not talking physically, spiritually. Oh, my heart's good. But so often the reason we say that is because of the mold that we fit. We look on the outside and not the inside. Okay? We're more concerned about outward habits rather than the inward stuff like bitterness and, and jealousy and anger and all those different things. We're more concerned about that. Okay? And our heart is desperately deceived. 
and desperately sick. But look at verse number 10. It's interesting. I, the Lord, I, the Lord, see, there's hope. I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. So, so God says, hey, isn't this good news? You may, you may be deceived by your heart, but I'm not deceived by, I'm not deceived by your heart. You, you, you may have a lying heart and you're believing a lie, but good news is I'm a doctor. I'm the attending heart physician today, and I will help you see your heart. So that leads us right into heart exam. You know, when, when you go to your general practitioner, and you kind of listen to your heart, I hear something I don't like, or something, maybe or a stress test, they'll send you for a consultation to a heart specialist. So God says, spiritually, I don't, let's, let's time out. If you're the pastor of this church, I need a heart consult. If you're the associate pastor of this church, you need a heart consult. If you're one of our deacons, you need a heart consult. If you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a trustee, if you're running the sound today, if you're working in the nursery today, if you're a charter member today, if you've been a Christian for 435 years, you need a heart consult because the heart is desperately wicked and who can know it? In fact, it's very, very sick and we need God to say, hey, God, how's my heart? How's my heart? It wasn't too long ago. I told, I told Laverne, I probably mentioned this, she says, okay. You know, I don't, time gets away from me, but about five, six, eight weeks ago, whenever it was, you know, Laverne's one of those people that walk all the time. I mean, she's thin as a rail, you know, and just not a, not a candidate for heart disease from the outward appearance. One day wakes up, don't feel good, you know, and get the indigestion thing and the hurt thing and wouldn't go away and ends up having a pretty severe heart attack. And, and, you know, if, if you look back in hind, hind, hind respect, you know, looking back, so often people with heart trouble say this. You know, something didn't seem right. I, I was feeling a little tired. I, I was not feeling real well. So often there's this, there's this feeling that we just don't feel right. So, so let me ask you a question. Why don't we go to the doctor? Why don't we go to the doctor? You know why? Fear. We are so much the perennial uh, ignorance is bliss. If, if I ignore it, it probably will go away. Men are great at that. Men are great at that. I just, I just won't go to the doctor. Like that's going to make you well. Do we do that spiritually? Sometimes we go, you know, Dwayne. I go to church three times a week, but something just doesn't seem right. I don't have the joy like I used to have. It seems like I'm in the manufacturing business. That if anything's going to happen with me and God, I've got to manufacture it because it's sure not coming from Him. And why don't we do something about it? Why don't we go to the attending physician? Fear. Fear what you might say, what this person might say. Fear of what God might say. He might say, you've got to give this up or change that or do that. And so fear keeps us from going to God. But here is what the psalmist says. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 are awesome verses. Search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Here's what God's saying. I want to do a consult. I want to help you. And our response needs to be, okay, God, 
Here, get, you know, I'll take my shirt off, have my T-shirt on, uh, get the stethoscope out. You want to listen to my heart? God, I, listen, listen, listen. God, all the rooms are open. If you let me use the house analogy. All the rooms. Okay, God, I listen. I don't want to have a heart disease, so I'm going to bear myself to you. God, I give you full permission to search my heart. No hidden rooms. No areas off limits. My money's included. My marriage is included. Uh, my private life's included. My job's included. Okay, God, it's all yours. Search me. Oh, God. And, and then he goes further. He says, try me and know my thoughts. Check me out. Check, check my motivations. Check out why I do what I do. Why am I acting the way I'm acting? Because God, I don't want to have a diseased heart. You know what's bad about a diseased heart? God was so cool. He said, I'm going to give Dwayne two ears. One larger than the other. He said, I'm going to give you... Two eyes. In fact, I'm going to give you two nostrils because allergies are a real problem. If one gets clogged up, you got the other one. Two hands, two feet, two kidneys. But how many hearts do we have? One. Got to take care of this one. Because you see, if you if you ignore it, if you're unaware or whatever, but if you don't take care of heart disease. It's going to kill you. And when it comes to the heart spiritually, two things. If you've never had a heart transplant, we're going to talk about that next week. But if you've never had a heart, heart transplant, if you've never met Jesus Christ, if you've never made a commitment to Him, you're not only going to die, you're already dead spiritually. Unless God does a miracle in your life through the plan of salvation, through forgiveness of your sin, you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Yes, it's a real place. And again, you don't need a catheterization, and you don't need open-heart surgery. You need a heart transplant. Mine took, come on now, mine took place on October 26, 1975. Can I have a witness? Anyone here had a heart transplant before? Met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Amen, yes. If you're here and you've never made that commitment to Jesus Christ, you need a heart transplant. But the truth is, even after a heart transplant, sometimes there's heart disease. And we need to say, God, I want every problem diagnosed. God says, okay, we need to run a couple of tests. Okay, well, you got mine, God. The first thing we're going to run is we're going to run an EKG, electrocardiogram. Now, I almost, Matt doesn't know this and Laura doesn't, but I'm almost a physician. I've been to more surgeries than any of y'all. I know that people, I go in there, you know, pre-surgery, and they're saying this, oh yeah, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. I mean, I've been to more surgeries than you can imagine, okay? I've had gallbladders, I've had everything, boy, hearts, we've done it all, okay? So an EKG basically is something like this. It measures the electrical activity of the heart. Electrical activity, as if I understand it right, is what makes the muscle do its thing. And an EKG, if there's abnormalities, if there's problems, if there's a heart attack happening or there's damage, that electrical activity will be altered. And what should be normal is no longer normal. It gives the doctor of a look at the problem of the heart muscle. Now, God says, I have an EKG. And it looks like this. Look at Matthew 5, 19 through 21 on your sermon sheet. It looks like this, he says. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, but lay up for your treasure, yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust de- destroys and where thieves do not break through and steal. Where neither that happens. So, so God says the EKG looks something like this. He says there's two places you can put treasures. You can put treasures on this earth, and what's going to happen is there's moth and there's rust and there are thieves, and it can be attacked, it can be destroyed, and it can be stolen. Or you can put treasure in a place called heaven where there is no thieves, there are no moths, and there are no rust. You have two places to put your treasures. The things that you value, your priorities, what Dwayne or what you are about, you've got two places to do that. But watch this. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, where your priorities are, where your passions and desires are, there is your heart also. EKG? Do you want to know if there's a problem with the heart muscle? This is your test. Don't just say, well, Dwayne, I'm here three times a week, or I do this, or I do that. Wherever your passions for life, for living, whatever you're passionate about, that's where your heart is. And here's what's cool. And some of y'all will say, man, this is something over your head, but this is true. It's so cool. Dwayne, in my life, my children are number one. I care passionately about my children. I want them to grow up and be prepared to face life. I am passionate about my children. Yeah, that's really awesome. But if you really want to be the most awesome parent in the world, you put God first. Because somehow when you put God first, it enables you to be passionate in a great way about your children. If not, you're over here trying to do it your way and we're imperfect. Dwayne, Dwayne I am, I'm, just like, I'm just passionate about, about my wife. Well, that's an awesome thing, dude. That's so cool. But if you really want to be the best husband you can be, put God first. Dwayne, I want to be financially secure. I want to be a financially wise steward. Oh, I'm so glad. You might want to try you know, some of these Raymond James or those different kind of places. That's cool. But let me tell you how to really do it. You want to really do it? Put God first. Because, see, see, where your treasure is, is where your heart's going to follow. Your heart will follow your treasure. Now, here's the hard question. What are you passionate about? Not how often you go to church. Not how many times a week do you have quiet time. Not how much money do you drop an offering plate. What is your passion? Because your heart belongs to wherever it is. David would say, we all worship something. What are you worshiping? Because that's where your heart is. Now, now who said that? Did, did, did Billy Graham say that? Did the president of the Southern Baptist Convention say that? Did Dwayne say that? Did your Sunday school teacher say that? No. Listen. Shh, shh. Jesus said And the one who kept you out of hell, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and the one who wants to keep you out of hell, if you haven't received Jesus Christ, your Lord, if you know him, your king, if you know him, says, listen, 
If you don't know how your heart is, check out this location. If your heart is chasing money, money is your God. If your heart is chasing popularity at school, kids, your heart belongs to popularity. If, if your career, if your heart is chasing your career, then that is your God. And I think one of the Big Ten says something about, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. How is your heart? Strap on the button. It's kind of painful when you've got a hairy chest. Slap the buttons on. Get your spiritually KG. Where is your heart? Now, sometimes... The stethoscope won't work. They hear a boom, boom, boom. Hear some heart murmur. Maybe there's something going on. Sometimes the EKG won't even work. Sometimes they need an inside look. And that's called a catheterization. That's where they actually go in. They put some dye in the heart. And they actually can go in and see what the heart looks like. And sometimes even fix some of the problems. All right. Now we find this in Luke chapter 6 and verse number 45. Now watch this. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. So, so there's the parameters. Now, this is really, really, really big. Um, I, I use the uh, New King James Version. And I, I little, again, I'm not a Greek expert. <laughs> like I said, I don't speak any Greek. But I've read a couple books, reading a couple books. See the word treasure there? Almost every definition in the Greek word, why they transfer treasure is it's receptacle, it's storeroom, it's storehouse. So, so it reads like this. A good man out of the good storehouse of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil storehouse of his heart brings forth evil. And in fact, it's just saying this, that whatever's in your heart is going to come out. That if you turn on a faucet and there's dirty water in the pipe, what's going to come out? Yeah, yeah, because you know why? Because the oh, miracle clean water is going to, no, it's going to come out dirty water. The old computer is garbage in, garbage out. So God is going to tell us, here's what his calf is. His calf says is that whatever is in your heart is going to come out. Well, how's it come out, Dwayne? Oh, this is too cool. Look at the last part, verse 45. For out of the abundance of the heart, a man's mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Who said this again? Now, this is big. Y'all getting quiet on me. This is your Lord and Savior speaking. And he says that when we speak... It gives us an internal view of our heart. And what that means is this. When you speak and bitterness comes out, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? When you speak and anger spews out, what's in your heart? When you speak and foulness comes out, what's in your heart? Jealousy? Lust? Sexual matters, that is an indicator of what's in your heart. And see, it's so cool. I can't see that. You can't see that. But God with his catheterization can. 
God looks smack down. This, this song we sang, it looks smacked down to our heart and we see what's there. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Because our heart is so deceitful and desperately sick, often what's in there is not what looks like out here. I'm telling you, church, in the 21st century today particularly, when we have so bent to the social mores. Social mores used to be great. Uh, social values used to be great. We, the society agreed with the Bible. You know, this is wrong and that's wrong. We're all in church going, yay! Divorce had a stigma. Homosexuality was really a big stigma. Well, that's gone now. Divorce? Half the people do it. Somebody get married, we're just going to live together. Our wonderful state just legalized civil unions between two men and two women or people just living together. Our heart is desperately wicked. And so often the social mores somehow work their way into our heart and we start believing that stuff. And God says through his consultation, let me take a look inside. Let me take a look inside. And often what we see, we don't want to own up to. You know, there's something called a Freudian slip. You'll say something, you go, oh, where'd that come from? From your heart. When cursing comes from your heart, it's because you have a curseful heart. And when gossip comes from your mouth, it's because you're a gossip. And when bitterness comes from your mouth, it's because you're bitter. That's what God says. Is that hard? Would it make me better if I got on the stage with you? On the floor with you? Now, why is that important? Because heart disease can kill you. If you don't receive Jesus Christ, that kind of heart disease will separate you from God forever. But if you don't take care of it as a believer, you'll, you'll, you'll go to heaven. But you'll never experience all that God wants you to experience in this life. I wrote something down. And I wrote it and I said, wow, I wonder if that's really true. Can I read it to you? I will. A diseased heart is no longer your friend. That which sustains life now seeks to take it. A diseased heart is no longer your friend. It may tell you what you want to know. It may tell you that you're okay, that you're good. A diseased heart is no longer your friend. That which sustains life, which pumps blood, now seeks to take it. So my question is this. How's your heart? How's your heart? If you're here today, we, we so firmly believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that, that man, that we are totally prayed, that we are sinners, and that there's nothing good spiritually in us at all. We're depraved. We have nothing to bring to the table. And God, knowing that, Provided his son Jesus Christ as the perfect sacrifice to, to appease, to atone for our sin and make a way that we could come into relationship with him. Now, anything we've done besides believing what he did, many of us in this room today have made that decision. Many of us have made that commitment. And if you've never made that commitment, 
I'm going to be standing down front in just a few moments, and I would love to have some of our counselors share with you or myself share with you about how God can give you a brand new heart. Like it happened for me 35 years ago, and it has been one tremendous ride. I would love to tell you about Jesus Christ today. For my friends and brothers and sisters here today, how's your heart? Now, back in the old days before heart catheterizations, before open heart surgery, you remember how they treated heart attack? You laid in bed real still, not putting any stress on the heart so it could slowly mend, and then eventually you might be able to go sit on the porch and rock. What kind of life is that? Again, I want to be clear. If your heart has been made new, but you've allowed disease to come into it, I want you to know, I'm not saying you lose your salvation. But what kind of life do you have spiritually? What kind of life do you have? It's not that John 1010 experience. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Shannon Boykins in the hospital over in Deaconess Gateway. Got three blockages. Tomorrow, a doctor is going to take a saw and cut his chest open. They're going to take clamps and pry back the chest, the rib cage. Then he's going to get in there and stitch and cut around his heart. Then they're going to do it all back again and take wire and wire the rib cage back together. It is going to hurt. It is going to be painful. But about five weeks from now, the Lord willing, Shannon is going to have a new life. When God does heart work on us, it may be painful. He may say, for me to fix this, you've got to do that. You may have to chuck your your television in the river if you can't control the pornography on it. He may say, you may have to sever your internet connection if you can handle the internet connections. He, he may say, you can't go where you used to go or do what you used to do because you can't handle that. And it's going to hurt. But you let God do His work. And you might well, five or six months or weeks down the road, say, I've got a new life. A new life. Would you bow your heads right there? This is our time of decision. Dave's going to come up and sing that wonderful song we've been singing each week as we talk about our heart. This morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I know that's kind of churchy words, but basically this. Today, if you understand that God's holy and you're not, that there's this big gap between you and Him, and you understand there's nothing you can do to bridge that gap, but you understand there's something God can do, we'd be glad for you to come forward and we can answer as many of your questions as we can. We want you to meet Jesus Christ today. Again, so many of us have. He is real. He's not a historical victor. He's the here and here's the now. It's incredible to think that 21 centuries later, we're still talking about a Jewish carbon that no one should know about. And the reason why, he's the real deal. He is the living son of God. My brothers and sisters, I don't know if you want to make the altar there. The altar is certainly open today. I'm telling you, God wants to do some heart work on us today. Would you let him do that? Would you let him do that? Dwayne, what about you? i got a place I call my green room. 
I almost want to tell you honestly, me and God do heart surgery pretty regularly. I've probably got some scheduled for tomorrow morning. About 4.30 in the morning, me and God will be in the green room. He's going to get a scalpel out and say, Dwayne, we have some cutting to do. Now, your pastor's not arrived. He's not perfect. No one ever does. I'm just telling you, yeah, me and God have heart surgery regularly too. Regularly too. So, Father, we bring this time to you. Jesus, I thank you that you died for us and we can have forgiveness of sins. You can give us a brand new heart. Thank you for that. Father, we've looked at our hearts today, and if we were honest, we would see some disease. Help us, God, to take care of that. Allow you to take care of that. There's nothing we can do. We'll just bring our hearts to you and say, okay, God, I've got this disease. And then follow what your word says to do. God, help us to be, help us to be honest with you today. We can ignore it. Father, the life that leads to is not one that you've called us to. I know that. So help us, God, to follow you. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.